0: This is Sheffield Hannum's number one football show. This is Shoe Football Forum.
1: We're also delighted to be joined uh, this week by, well, we've, uh, we're known obviously, we try and get all the Radio Sheffield folks on from Football Heaven and the ones that were on it in the past and uh, we're almost completed the set now, we're delighted uh, to welcome radio leads us now uh jonathan booker an afternoon mate Hiya. how are you very well thanks it's uh great to have you with us uh, on the show um obviously for, for fat, longtime long time viewers of the show we were planning to get jonathan on back in april but that was when the world went and changed <laughs> for the worse so it is on zoom but we uh we have brought him to you uh eventually um, so let's crack on talk about leeds because obviously united played leeds um obviously you're giving us the the leeds perspective um, what did you make of what did you make of the game i thought it was a really good entertaining game wasn't it um,
2: i think that most people watching it okay it was a narrow 1-0 victory but it could quite easily have been two a piece probably you could have said in the game with the way that both goalkeepers played and and kept their sides in it um, I thought we saw Sheffield United play the way we know Sheffield United will play. We saw League United play the way that Leeds United will play. I don't think either side kind of compromised on what they do to try and stifle the other team. I think it was just two very interesting tactical performances that almost cancelled each other out. Um, but Leeds obviously nicking it very late on to um, the anger and uh, frustration of Chris Wilder, as you saw afterwards with his comments. He wasn't best pleased, was he?
0: I would just sum up the start overall made by Leeds across the three games and it's obviously been very entertaining. We've seen high scoring games. Uh, What would you make of it so far?
2: I think most people, if you looked at it and said, three games in, uh, including going to Liverpool as well um, and then facing Fulham, another promoted side, and Sheffield United, who did fantastically well last year, didn't they? I think most people would say it's been a very good start. Six points from those three games so far. If you would have got to the international break on three points, you'd have gone okay. That's all right. If you'd have got there on four points, you'd have gone, that's pretty good to get there on six points. The possibility of nine points if Manchester City don't turn up at the weekend as well at Ellen Road, um, if the Leicester game's anything to go by. I think most Leeds fans are pretty happy with the way the season's gone so far. The big games were Fulham and Sheffield United, particularly Fulham. You know, that was a a very pivotal game, I think, for this season. So early on in it, to see how Leeds coped against them. 4-3, 4-3, in my opinion, a bit flattering to Fulham, that one. Um, I know that a certain bookmaker has said they're going to start paying out on Fulham being relegated already. That's how poor they've been. Um, but I think a lot of people are quite hopeful that Leeds will be able to at least stay up. A lot of the talk has been about possibly mid-table. Whether they can do what Sheffield United did last season is yet to be seen. Um, but with the window still open, they're still hoping to do some business. So I think overall, yeah, three games in, pretty happy, is how most Leeds fans would assess it.
0: And obviously, they've, they've not been afraid to attack. We didn't expect Bielsa to, to compromise his principles before the season.
2: <laughs> not at all. Not at all. He was never going to compromise those principles. You, you know And again, it's similar way to Chris Wilder. You know what you get from a Chris Wilder side. You know what you get from a, a Marcelo Bielsa side. Um, you'll get a side that press, a side that work really hard, a side that they're attacking. That will leave um, opportunities for the opposition as well, which is why the first two games of the season were both 4-3. Um, but if Leeds can still be as clinical as they have been in the opening part of this season then I think they'll be pretty comfortable with it I I think that last season and even the season before one of the issues they had in the Championship was teams sitting behind the ball and Leeds struggling to break them down Um, I don't think in the Premier League you'll get as many teams that will line up that way against Leeds I don't think as many teams will sit behind the ball if they do it'll be interesting to see how Leeds try and break them down um, with better players than the players in the Championship who try to sit back and and keep Leeds out Um, but I don't think as many teams will do that. And I think it'll be, if nothing else, it'll be a pretty exciting and interesting season, I think, for the
1: supporters. And uh, one thing I want to touch on, obviously, after the game is Leeds and United, you see, we call them United around these parts. There's only one United for us. Um, We know, obviously, Leeds and United have had the battles in the Championship, obviously. A lot of the bragging rights from that game has come off the back of the fact that United beat Leeds back at Ellen Road, back in March uh, 2019. Do you think the effects of Leeds sort of, well, to use a better phrase, bottling it uh, when United got promoted has sort of driven them on to obviously winning the championship last season and pushing them on uh, at the start of this Premier League season? I think the big motivating factor for Leeds
2: getting promoted at the second attempt under Bielsa instead of the first attempt was actually the Derby um, performance in the semi-finals. Um, Yes, okay, top two was obviously the aim that season, but then getting into the playoffs, a lot of people still felt Leeds were the side that were going to go up through the playoffs. and to lose it in the manner they did, having gone to Derby and won at Derby by a goal to nil and then coming back to Elham Road in a commanding position and having an absolute crazy, I think it was 15 minutes where they conceded a couple of goals and Kiko Kasia did his very best to try and keep Leeds in the Championship for another season and ultimately succeeded, didn't he? Um, you know, it was it was a real hammer blow. I was at that game that night and there were grown men in tears, um, which I'm sure many Sheffield United fans will be pleased to hear, but, you know, it just showed how much it meant and it was the closest Leeds have come since they since they were relegated. Obviously, they made the playoff final, of course, um, just after being relegated from the Premier League many, many years ago now. But since then, it's the closest they've come. Um, so that was the motivating factor for me. And, you know, not adding a huge amount to the squad in that summer, just doing a little bit, but believing in the process. Marcelo Bielsa also always says, if plan A doesn't work, then do plan A better. He doesn't have a plan B. And a bit of a concern was second season syndrome. If people know how Leeds play, people know how to stop Leeds playing that way, would they be able to get over the line? Um, some would argue it took a global pandemic to get leads over the line because that little break in fixtures probably actually helped them because there is a bit of talk around Bielsa's team's burning out, isn't there, which I think is a bit unfair at times. But that break, I think, actually helped them. and. Not a popular opinion as well, but some have speculated that even not having the fans in the ground actually helped them. Ellen Road can be a a hugely positive factor for Leeds United, but it can also be, as we saw in that derby game, a very nervy and anxious atmosphere. And if results aren't going their way, I'm thinking of possibly the the Barnsley game this season, um, when Barnsley were playing really well, Leeds were all over the shop, Leeds ended up winning it. Had there been a full 40,000 crowd in there that day, um, you know, the odd straight pass would have had much more response from the crowd than it did from the 200 or so of us that were in the ground at the time. So, yeah, not the most popular opinion, I don't think, because we'd all love to have the fans back in there. But you just wonder whether it would have panned out the same way. Probably would have done, but you just wonder. You just have that question mark over it.
0: I think back to teams that have overachieved in the Premier League in the past. You think of uh, Stoke back in 0809 under Tony Pulis, and you think as recently as Sheffield United. Both had very unique styles that yeah. Premier League teams hadn't really been used to coming up against. And I think Leeds are the same, aren't they? Now you know, it's, it's, all, it's all man-to-man marking all over the pitch. And, the, and like you say, they press so high. Do you think that will bode well in, uh, for Leeds this season? Do you think they'll be able to overachieve in a similar sort of way?
2: I think it will catch some teams out. I think it absolutely will catch some teams out this season. Um, will it catch enough of them out for them to overachieve and finish? Oh, it depends what your class is overachieving. For me, Leeds finished top half. And um, with the the financial difference between Championship and, and Premier League clubs that is an overachievement if Leeds finish in the top half of the table this season I know people will get excited right now and we even had some callers at the weekend saying well we can get into Europe but hang on let's just quell that you know we're, we're only three games into this campaign it's, it's all well and good getting excited and everyone enjoys it but ultimately I think the aim still has to be to get that 17th place and whether that's by goal difference on the final day of the season I don't think anybody will care I think if Leeds can stay up and stay in the in the Premier League for another season and that's when you build and kick on isn't it which is what Sheffield United hoping to do despite their, their tricky start so far
0: so i just about recruitment a bit more generally what do mm. you make of the signings Leeds have made so far um, you know the likes of Rodrigo was a bit of a risk but then also there's been people like Joe Gellart coming in and there's, there's been a really sort of desire to think about it long term and get good mm. young players I think that's a good mix for, for Leeds to have in terms of their recruitment
2: I think it's a sensible mix, isn't it? You know, if you can if you've suddenly got more money and you can go out and pick out some of the best players um, you know, from the youth ranks or from the lower divisions that are playing and, and get them into your building, whether they're playing for the under twenty threes in the FL trophy, as many of those players are, um, or whether you then supplement them into the first team, as I'm sure we will see some of them do, because Marcelo Bielsa hasn't been scared to use young players. You know, he's he's brought in the likes of Jamie Shackleton, who's become a, a part of that first team squad and had an excellent end to the season, scoring a couple of goals later on in the season as well. Um, you know, and he's come through the Leeds Academy. So if you can Merge that and mould it It's not all about And Sheffield United Kind of showed this In some ways Didn't they They didn't go out And spend hundreds Of millions of pounds Last season They spent 60-65 million I think it was in total um, In their first summer When they got promoted So if you can go And spend that sort of money But then also bring in Some young players I think that's the perfect balance In terms of the The, the star players That they've brought in so far You've got Robin Cock Who's coming into that back line But very assured I thought the weekend After um, not the most convincing Couple of performances Early on in the campaign But very assured Last weekend And then you look at Rodrigo, who, for me, he looks an incredible player. Obviously, everyone's seen a little bit of him previously before playing in the Premier League, but he came on at the weekend and in my opinion I don't know what you guys thought I thought he made the difference in that second half he had a, a role to play in the goal with a nice little touch to send it out wide and then Harrison whips the ball into the box so I think he looks a really good player he's the long-term replacement for Pablo Hernandez who's struggling with injuries and can't really maintain playing game in game out so he's the long-term replacement for him um, and I think he will go on to be be a great player for Leeds over the next couple of years and they still want to add a couple more as well they are still looking to add a couple more to the midfield and possibly one in the wide areas as well um, so we'll wait to see with a, what week or so of the transfer window left to go now before it closes I, I've been pleased with what they've done so far but I do still think they've got a bit of work to do on that front of things
0: What sort of position you say midfield then, is there anybody in mind that you think Leeds should sign or is there anybody that you think Leeds will be after
2: Uh, Well they're after A young French midfielder From Bayern Munich At the minute Um, He's somebody who I think they believe Can come into this side It's about 20 million pounds They're talking about now um, for, For him to come in And in my opinion, they, they do need to just add a couple more, a bit of sprinkling. There's been talk of Dan James, actually, at Manchester United once again. That's a name that's reared its head. He obviously nearly joined Leeds United beforehand, before Swansea didn't press the right buttons to get the deal done in time for Leeds to, to sign him. He ended up then going to Manchester United in the in the next transfer window. He's not been doing too well uh, over at Old Trafford. There's been some, some talk of him possibly coming in as well. So, interesting to see where they go. The, the thing about Leeds United is they will pick players from places where we might not necessarily even be looking that they're looking at players, you know, and that, and that's something that Victor Orta has set huge credit for. Um, he's thrown a lot of players club over the last few years as a director of football but some of them have stuck some of them haven't um, and that's always going to be the case isn't it you just hope that the ones that stake are the ones that you've you've paid the good money for you don't want them to be the flops do you so if Leeds can make sure that they're still bringing in a couple more between now and the end of the window I think most people would be happy Marcelo Bielsa's never one to push for signings he's always been happy with the squad that he's got so he's not going to be the manager that's knocking on the door saying get me this guy get me that guy he just looks at it and thinks you give me what you can give me and I'll work with those and make those better players and that's ultimately what he does a bit like Chris Wilder's done look at Chris Basham you know he's been all the way through the journey hasn't he you know I wouldn't have thought when I was watching him playing in League One and they were getting beaten down at Walsall that we'd be talking about Chris Basham being an overlapping centre-half in the Premier League and yet look what he's gone and done if you can make more of the players you've already got that's how Marcelo Bielsa seems to view it as well
0: Joseph, Josh and Connor. This is Football Forum, only on Shoe Radio.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Football Forum. Uh, we've got, obviously, Jonathan Buckin still with us um, as our special guest this week. And it's that time of the programme where we, we have a little bit of a chat about uh, about his career and about some of his highlights. And, uh, Jonathan, obviously, we know you most knownly for Football Heaven and Radio Sheffield for, for quite a number of years. Uh, the trio of, uh, of Andy Giddings, Rob Staten and, uh, and yourself. Um, I think the one we have to start with is because it's, Josh has mentioned it several times on our show over the past few years, that infamous Nigel Adkins interview about the room for improvement. It's a, it's a great one, isn't it? What's the, what's, your, what's the biggest room in your house? Your living room. The
2: room for improvement. <laughs> there we go. So that's, that's, we've all got to improve. Yes, Yes, that was um, one of the most bizarre interviews I've done. Nigel Adkins was, he's an interesting man. Um, he's the only manager that I've known when he's joined the football club to assemble the, the media and, and say, come down and meet me and we'll have a coffee and we'll have a drink together. And you know, he did that, which was obviously very encouraging. He thought, oh, we can have a really good relationship here. And he was, it was, was a good relationship. However, I don't think he matched Sheffield United. I don't think he matched South Yorkshire folk, if I'm being honest. The way he spoke, you know, I'm a Yorkshire lad myself. The way he spoke, he spoke in metaphors, didn't he? And He spoke about going walking through the walking through um, the the woods, wasn't he? I'm trying to remember what park he said he was walking through. Encliffe Park, it might have been. He was walking through, and uh, he watched a stream, and he saw the the water going around the outside of the rocks, and it was a metaphor for for how you sometimes are going against the water flow, but you still have to stand firm to it. And that just doesn't resonate, does it, with with people of Sheffield and people of Yorkshire? You know, a spade's a spade for us. So when he started talking about what's the biggest room in your house, and I think my response was your living room um knowing that he would live in a much bigger house than i by the way and his response was the room for improvement i think there was an audible groan amongst those of us who were there that day for the press conference and still now every so often on my my twitter timeline people will pop up by just retweeting that so they've gone back through the timeline just to find it yeah it was it was a bizarre bizarre interview nice guy um but i just don't think he ever really matched the club did he
0: are there any sort of standout moments apart from that then covering Sheffield teams for Radio Sheffield, what were sort of your standout moments? Game, um,
2: like I that? Think, oh, the, <laughs> games has been some bizarre ones. I think I think one of the most standout games and nights of, of my broadcasting career, and there's a couple, one covering Rotherham, when Rotherham United managed to stay in the championship, and Steve Evans, um, the, great character that Steve Evans was uh, at Rotherham. Uh, He ended up on the balcony with bottles of champagne in his hand. uh, And I decided that that's where we needed to be. So I ran up there past a few stewards, got out onto the balcony and shoved a microphone in his face whilst he was kind of giving it all this to the fans who were down below him. And um, I think Lee Gregory, the Millwall player, had been saying um, that they were going to bottle it rotherham united and the famous quote from steve evans when i shoved the microphone in his face was uh, someone down at Millwall said we were going to bottle it well i tell you what we've got 12 bottles of pink champagne here for you which just summed him up really not champagne pink champagne another one was the five all second leg against swindon in the playoffs of sheffield united which is one of the most bizarre games i've ever watched in my entire life um And it meant they lost out, obviously, as you guys will know, in the playoffs, having lost the first leg. Um, But there was fighting in the stands among Sheffield United fans and amongst the stewards as well, which was really ugly, horrible scenes. Um, And then I had to do the interview live post-game with Nigel Clough, obviously from the Clough family. So it was always a pleasure to speak to him, but always quite a daunting thing, actually, to speak to him as well. And I knew that he probably wasn't going to keep his job. Because they hadn't been promoted And I had to ask him that And and I would still say It's one of One of the best interviews I've done I feel One of the most impactful interviews um, The Sheffield United fans You know Enjoyed the fact that And this is something That Football Heaven Has historically done Challenged the managers Didn't just You know Do Standard interviews. It was challenging the managers and, and saying to them, Are you going to lose your job because of this? And he wasn't happy at all that I asked him that question. Um, and he started going on a rant about um, the fact that I should have been asking about John Brayford not being in the side. And so i all due respect, John is not the reason you haven't been promoted, is he, Nigel? So that was a, quite a, a conflict of an interview. But at the end of it, shook my hand, looked me in the eye, walked away. You know, he was understanding of the situation as well. So there's been some memorable nights. Wembley, a couple of times as well, a few times actually, with Barnsley. And, and Sheffield Wednesday um, which is always enjoyable going down there so it, it's a great patch it's a fantastic station to work for real loyal listenership and passionate listenership that's all you can ask for guys like yourself who are passionate about your football clubs and hopefully we, we kind of reflect that for you guys as well or, or we certainly did when we were down there tried to do that anyway.
0: Absolutely And just one thing I'd like to touch on as well you mentioned Steve Evans what was your relationship like with him because obviously he's a bit of a, a polar <laughs> character isn't he? He
2: is. Um, Steve Evans fell out with me a number of times. Uh, He walked away from me in three different interviews over innocuous questions that he didn't like. um, Effing and blinding, because that's what he does. Um, The season they got into the playoffs, they'd been beaten on the final day of the season at Wolves, who were getting promoted from League One. The game was 6-4 that day. They'd lost three or four on the bounce, I think, going into the playoffs. So one of my questions in the post-match interview with him was, Talk to me about momentum, Steve. You know what does it do having lost three or four heading into the playoffs? Oh, and he kicked off, didn't like it at all. Turned around, stormed away, walked halfway down the tunnel, turned around, pointed back up at me, effing and jeffing, and walked off once again. And 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 then I went to see him three days later ahead of the next game. Good as gold. Hi, Johnny. How are you? Come on in. You know that's just who he is. A fiery character. A, a character who will have a go at you one day and then the next day, you know, buy you a pint if you saw him in the pub. I'm sure. Um. And you know when he moved up to Leeds United, he he obviously knew my links to that football club as well, and he phoned me to have a bit of a chat about the football club what it meant to the supporters what you know what are the key things he should be looking at so he's somebody who fully understands he's a very clever man is Steve um, and, and he fully understands the role that media has to play and he knows how to play that role as well um, so I, I'll always be grateful for Steve he did some fantastic interviews some really memorable interviews with fantastic quotes as well um, even if he did every so often look like he might be about to punch me in the face.
1: <laughs> I just want to talk about obviously because you left radio sheffield uh, a couple of years ago yeah and moved over in our words to the dark side <laughs> yeah to, uh, to the city of leeds which um pretty much every single person in the media thinks uh, is the number one city in the region which it isn't it's sheffield of course um how did it feel how did it feel making that transition from radio sheffield to radio leeds Radio
2: Sheffield set me up for for getting the job at Radio Leeds. I'm a sports editor now at BBC Leeds. um, And you know it wasn't any secret i'm from the city of leeds you know it's my hometown patch um you know i grew up listening to the radio station it was a dream job for me to to move into the the editor's position at the at the radio station so when the opportunity came about it was something i really couldn't um turn down the chance of applying for and then fortunately actually getting getting the job i was in no rush to leave sheffield if it hadn't have been that job that that came up if it was let's say the sports editor at stoke or manchester or somewhere like that i wouldn't have applied for it it wasn't a job that interested me me um, because Sheffield is such a fantastic patch it's a great place to work Worked with as you say Andy and Rob you know some brilliant guys as well on the patch um, who you know have done some fantastic work over the years down there and Rob's obviously since moved on himself as well uh, Andy down there um, just of the old gang right now but to be a part of the, the football heaven Um, history I suppose and praise or grumbles history you know it's the original ever football phoning the first ever football phoning and to be able to say that you've you've presented that and you've hosted that is a real honour after some fantastic broadcasters as well you know Paul Walker who left just before I started but I know Paul very well and he's, he's a brilliant broadcaster absolutely brilliant broadcaster couldn't have hoped to have worked for anybody better in my first year down there as a freelancer he was fantastic with me so it was a real pleasure to be down there. But as I say, for me, Leeds is my hometown patch. Um, it allowed me to get closer to family. Um, it allowed me to get back to, to where my family are from um, and to be a part of a radio station that I grew up listening to as well and and to take on a bit of a, a step upwards into the editorial position and, and a bit more management work and dealing with different people in the in the industry, which is, which has been great. I've, I've loved every minute of it, but in the same breath, I, I loved every minute down at Sheffield.
1: One thing I do uh, want to touch on is... Obviously, we, we've talked to, to a lot of our guests about sort of how they got started in hmm. in broadcast. Obviously, because it's it's something that us two and uh, and Josh as well are sort of are trying to get into, trying to get into a uh, a career in broadcasting in football and what have you. Talk us through a little bit about how you started. Obviously, Radio Sheffield, as you say, set you up. But uh, let's go back into a, a little bit of your uh, of how you got started, if you
0: don't mind.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, well, Radio Sheffield was my first step into the BBC,
2: and I was a freelancer for them, um, covering Rotherham United in my first year for them. But I'd been in broadcasting before then uh, for a a good number of years, if I try and do the math now, I've been in broadcasting before then for seven, eight years. Um, I did broadcast journalism at the University of Leeds, um, did that between 2004, 2007, and graduated from that. And whilst I was there, I started working for a local commercial radio station um, called Yorkshire Radio that covered the entire Yorkshire region. And it was a sports... Radio station, um, so we would play music and then play an interview with a football manager, play music, and then play an interview with a rugby player, play music and a bit of cricket you know that 's what we did and it was a fantastic learning curve. It was a brand new radio station started with zero listeners we got up to over one hundred thousand listeners within three years, which was massive for us. Um, a real loyal, dedicated team who now um, the radio station since did shut down many years later because of financial um, difficulties and obviously the way the world is that happens doesn 't it But all the guys I worked with there are all still working in the industry at. At good locations, whether that be for Sky, whether that be for football clubs, whether it be at other radio stations, so it just shows the the kind of graph that went in behind the scenes there. So that was my first real step into into proper broadcasting. Um, at university, I'd done student radio, um, which was the the first real real broadcasting that I'd done to actually an audience as such. So that was fantastic. Again, learning curve, you get to do so many different things um, in that, that you just don't get the opportunity to do. And and I speak to a lot of students now and encourage them. If you can get involved with your student radio station or hospital radio, not something I did, but I know many people go down that route as well. It's certainly the way to do it. And, And I think one of the big things that I say to people now, is that even back then in 2007 things like this didn't exist you know zoom didn't exist um you know twitter didn't exist back then um you you look at it and you you have to say it's never been easier now to create your own content as you guys are doing brilliantly but it's never been harder i don't think to have a proper career in the industry because there aren't as many avenues now in terms of actual radio stations if you're talking about radio that is there's lots of online stuff but making a living out of it is very very difficult to do now so all you guys should be doing is exactly what you are doing making sure that you're getting your own content put together practice 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 listen to radio all those kinds of things um, but yeah my, my career path was a fairly traditional one I'd probably say um, but to get in at the BBC I had to quit a full-time job at a radio station to go freelance to get in at the BBC so I had to take a bit of a gamble there and um, you know my parents were a little bit concerned when I said I'm gonna go freelance. I said, what if you don't get any work? Well I'm gonna back myself and hope that I do. Unfortunately it's worked out for me. I know other people who haven't been as lucky and, and the opportunities haven't arisen for them. So um, that was that was my sort of path into it um, with always the aim that the BBC is where I
1: wanted to end up. I think one that we we're, we're gonna finish on is um, is one we've asked a, a couple of people since we've been on Zoom and obviously you are one that's, as part of the, one of the main team on West Yorkshire Sport, obviously the, uh, the editor and what have you, you're at these the games now that are behind mm. closed doors and broadcasting from there. We spoke to, uh, to Adam and Mike from, uh, from Radio Sheffield about what they feel like it is record, uh, broadcasting behind closed doors. What's it like for you? Because um, I know obviously usually you have, uh, you sort of split it quite a bit because you've got a, a Leeds United yep. a commentary team and a Bradford and a Huddersfield what's the experience like for you, uh, broadcasting behind closed doors when it comes to football?
2: Yeah, we do it differently, like you say, to, to Radio Sheffield, which is like a joint Radio Sheffield, obviously a joint build-up show, joint post-match phoning. We do it differently. So we split our frequencies three ways, FM, digital and, and medium wave, all three of our professional teams are playing. So Leeds will be on FM, Huddersfield on digital and Bradford City on medium wave. So, So it's very different because you are designated to that football club. Now, my job is to know about all the football clubs, obviously, but we have a Bradford City correspondent whose job it is to know everything about Bradford City and to be, you know, making the contacts with Bradford City and all those kinds of things. Same with Huddersfield, same with Leeds United, whereas in Sheffield, you you very much have to have your toe in in every single one of those clubs' bits of water, you know, so you know what's going on. In terms of broadcasting at the games... (sighs) It's nowhere near as enjoyable, if I'm being perfectly honest. The opening game of the season this year, I was at Anfield for, for Liverpool against Leeds, one of the most incredible games you will ever see. A 4-3 game um, you know, against the champions of England. That should be a game that, in my mind, I will remember for the rest of my life. And I will do, but I remember it for a very good game of football. I won't remember it for what I should remember it for, which is the fantastic occasion it would have been had there been 55,000 people there, including six or 7,000 Leeds United fans. And, you know, walking into the ground, people milling around, songs, flags, scarves banners all that sort of stuff and then the way the game went would have been incredible had there been an audience in there so it's absolutely nowhere near as enjoyable as what it is with the fans there they are the lifeblood and if we didn't already know that which i think working at sheffield you you obviously know that because that's what the product depends on the callers the listeners and that's what football depends on but if you didn't already know that this has just hammered it home for me no matter what level it's at league two afl trophy that i was doing a couple of weeks ago um or premier league you know Winners against Leeds United. Without the fans, it is nowhere near as enjoyable as a broadcaster. Um, we're privileged to be there. I'm not moaning about it in the slightest because I know I'm so lucky to be able to be there watching these games. But it is nothing without the supporters in the ground.
1: It really isn't. And um, finally, where do you see football going? Obviously, because we know that we don't know when there's going to be fans returning to grounds. We don't know who's going to bail out these clubs. Obviously, some mm. gone within weeks. Where do you see football going in the next six months to a year?
2: it's very perilous isn't it at the moment I think for these football clubs um, you know the lower leagues and, and the non-leagues in some ways the non-league teams a lot of them could, could probably mothball and, and, and go into a little bit of a situation where they almost put themselves on hold for a year if the National League doesn't take, take effect this year um, depends on what happens with this bailout the, the League 2 clubs many of them are in a lot of trouble League 1 um, same can be said for them and Championship similar fashion Premier League clubs will survive Premier League clubs will be will be fine they obviously won't be as wealthy as they have previously been but they don't depend on gate receipts as simple as that um whereas league two and league one and championship to some respects absolutely do um league two we we do with bradford city as i say and and you know they're very fortunate they've got a multi-millionaire backer but he's having to write a check every month to balance their books and that isn't sustainable for a lot of other clubs who don't have that multi-millionaire backer and and it is in a very delicate position Obviously, safety has to come first. I can't see fans being in grounds any time at this side of the turn of the year. I really can't. And that's not because you can't socially distance in a stadium. Of course you can. But it's the pinch points. It's the turnstiles coming in. It's the toilets. It's the drinks kiosks, if you want to even open the drinks kiosks. It's the way people are going to have to socially distance queue outside, which is going to take hours for people to get in. They're going to have to arrive at certain times. There are so many factors that have to be thought about here. And the first one is public welfare. Yes, football clubs are in financial trouble absolutely but let's be honest the world's in a bit of trouble at the moment isn't it and you know we all have to look after ourselves and look after each other and hopefully football clubs can come through this hopefully there can be some bailout I think the Premier League should be helping out I think the Premier League's got that much money it should be helping out more than it has done so far hopefully it will do and I think it's got a responsibility to do that um but it's a very perilous situation right now and, and who knows which way it's going to go in the coming months. We, we seemed like we were easing slightly, didn't we? And now we've obviously gone backwards a little bit. So um, it's it's certainly an issue that I wouldn't want to be having to make these decisions on, that's for sure.
1: Johnny, it's been an absolute honour to have you on this programme. I know obviously me and Connor and definitely Josh as well grew up listening to you on Radio Sheffield and what have you for, for so many years. And to have you have you on our show is uh, is a genuine pleasure. So uh, thanks for giving up your time for us.
2: No, thanks for inviting me, guys. It, it was an honour to be on the show. Like I say, I loved all my time down at Sheffield. So I'm just glad you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Take care of yourself, Johnny. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers. guys.
1: All good, yeah. Yep, that's yep. fantastic, mate. Thank you so much for that, so guys. No probs, no probs. Are you still listening? Then are you still Football Eleven Disciples? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, trying to have it on as uh, as much as we can, obviously. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the fact that we're not doing so well is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, but that's what, that's what comes of it, doesn't it? That's what comes of it. At least you're not a Wednesday fan. You know, it could be that way, couldn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're going through the ringer at the minute of Wednesday, aren't they? It's yeah. not, uh, not great for them. Not great for them. Good stuff. Right, lads. Thanks for that. appreciate the invite. Anytime you need, just get in touch with me. If I can help in any way, whatever way that is, just get in touch with me.
1: No worries, mate.
2: Really appreciate your time. Take Cheers, care. guys. Thanks a lot. See ya.